Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Esoteric Gaming Podcast. This is a weekly podcast detailing some of our insights and opinions into the industry of gaming. I'm Pear, and I'm the youngest of the crew, and I'm also the resident Canadian. And I'm a specialist in the world of digital advertising and market research, so I'm going to take our crew through the latest in gaming news. And with me, I got Lex. Hello. And Lex, or should I say Dr. Lex, has his doctorate in statistics and is also a grandfather of three, but uh, works within some of the biggest and largest companies in Silicon Valley. So with that big brain degree behind him, Lex does an in-depth study on the larger-than-life topics in the Gamerverse, or pretty much just talks about whatever's keeping him up at night, and then it keeps up us up at night. And then uh, finally, the third musketeer is Dez. Hello, hello, hello. And Dez, who is a father of four, works as an engineer with the tech startups within Silicon Valley. And I also have an on good authority here, Dez, that, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're currently on a year-long surgery with a My Computer 64. Do I have that right? Yes, I'm, I'm building a computer from the ground up. So what is a like when I think of a my computer 64 is that just like the thing that parents give their children who are gifted and already like in college at the age of 9 is that kind of like the 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 gift of the the decade for you something like that yeah i'm basically building uh designing from the ground up a processor instruction set architecture and everything based loosely on the commodore 64 from back in the 70s and 80s Oh, that's awesome. Well, I kind of already spoiled what Dez is going to be talking about today, but just like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, Dez is going to take us through the chocolate river that is gaming technology. So with that, I'm actually going to get our podcasting chops warmed up with uh, a story. So story time with Pear. And it is about the rise and fall of the PVEVP, that's a mouthful, game scavengers. And then everybody is going to want to stay seated as Lex helps us answer the age-old question. Should games persist as long as they do? And then finally, Des is going to talk about the realities of, you probably guessed it, virtual reality. So without further ado, let's take an esoteric dive into the world of gaming. All right, so the news coverage that I have today, and it's kind of a little bit of old news, but it's still extremely fascinating. And, you know, I got thinking a lot about it. So for those that don't know, there was a PvEVP game that came out back in the 1st of May of 2021. Now, it's funny because I actually thought it was a Battle Royale, but it's it sort of is because the PvE or PvP element is there, right? Um, but this game is called Scavengers. Um, so, Des and Lex, have you guys heard or played this game? I've not played it. I did look it up just to kind of understand, but I've, I've not <laughs> played it. it, it uh, so, so I got to ask, is this PvE thing, is this like like big dinosaurs show up and kill everybody in the middle of the fighting? It like, sort of game? is. Yeah, it, it is that, like, yeah, think like Mothman, like big, massive alien creatures. Yeah. That's kind of the the general gist of the E element of PVE. And essentially you get like, uh, I'll call it in layman's terms, like flux essentially. And then you can buy, you can, like there was a buying element. So instead of like looting things, you like bought things from, from, from the various vendors and around the map. So do the players like, I got to ask this, I'm curious, did like, do they in practice, would they often like 
they'd be killing each other and then they would agree that the aliens have shown up and now they got to go fight the common enemy. No, it was sort of more the players were the enemies as well. Like, so you'd be fighting like, so what would happen essentially? And I played this game and I actually, it was an inventive game. It really was. So you're dropped on a map, right? And it's sort of like an extraction shooter, similar to like the cycle or Tarkov, where essentially what you would do is you would go to like a level one zone. And in this level one zone, there'd be level one PVE element, like enemies there, right? And there'd be also loot, right? And then what you want to do though, is you'd start there and then work your way to like tier three level zones where there'd be massive monsters. But it also encouraged those like team fights, right? Because everybody is swarm, like, so the players are working their way towards these bigger and bigger areas, right? So that's the general premise of the game. But get this, so in on May 6th, so the game came out on May 1st, but on May 6th, and this is of the year 2021, so this is like last year, only six days after it released, it was reported that over half a million players had played Scavengers, which, consider this for a second, like, this is quite an unknown studio, like, this is, a, you could almost call this an indie game to some degree, and over half a million players have now played Scavengers, which is pretty insane to think about it, considering also the fact that, you know, it, it fell in line with the Battle Royale genre to some degree. Like, it, it could be argued that everybody thought it was another Battle Royale clone out there, right? That's so, pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so the thing, though, is, is between then and now, what happened? Because essentially, Scavengers has been in its release cycle for about two years or just under two years and suffice it to say not terrible amounts of things happened which is really unfortunate you see let's rewind the clock here a little bit back so the year is 2018 and josh holmes who is actually the founder and ceo of the company that made the game is called midwinter entertainment so that's the first character we have in this little story here and they released this trailer back in the year of 2018 and it was essentially like, yeah, we're building this game. It's going to be radical. It's going to be cool. And it's going to be called Scavengers, right? It's this game where you survive against like alien creatures, but also the elements. There was kind of this like, like think like a forest in like the middle of winter kind of survival game, right? So think like Icarus first cohort or something like that, right? And it became clear also that here's another thing that was very clear throughout that trailer. And you could go watch it. Um it was that idea that they were very much about like, okay, uh, we're, we're not big into the indie or not big into the AAA, right? Like we want to be an indie studio. We want to do our own like indie projects. And they actually, it's, it's funny at the very end of their trailer, they're like, there's been a word that's like kind of brought us together and that's like togetherness. And it's, it's kind of like this, like we, we really want to kind of go against the curve here with, in terms of AAA stuff. Now, the interesting thing, here's the interesting thing about this though is that they actually had massive AAA chops coming from Halo 5. So Josh Holmes, that guy I mentioned uh, earlier, who was the CEO and founder of the company, he at one point actually was the studio head of 343 Industries. So he was like the head honcho that made Halo 5, essentially. So this is not an indie company, even though it is in the sense of like indie resources, right? So you have less manpower, obviously, like, you know, less less money available to you. So does it uh, does it play like a AAA title or a, a high end game, or is it does it feel like an indie game? 
It, no, it did. It felt like a triple A. It really did to some degree because it was inventive, right? Like it was, it, 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 it's kind of what cycle is today. Like the cycle, if you're familiar with that game, are you guys familiar with the cycle? I am not. No. So the cycle <laughs> is like an extraction. Sh- it's, it's more of an, what it, it touts itself as more, more of an extraction shooter. So you're familiar with like extraction shooters, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. But don't say no. <laughs> I'm done at the Valheim level. Like, you know, so for those so, that are... so this this is where my age is a problem. Grandpas have terrible reflexes and generally don't say that. <laughs> um. So for those that are listening that don't know what extraction shooter is, essentially what it is is the first game that I would say that kind of it may have not been the first to market, but it was maybe the first to kind of make the market if that makes sense you know how like perception sometimes overrules reality and that was tarkov so tar so escape from tarkov was the very first extraction shooter genre game now so the interesting thing is is during this time though there actually was so i just want to keep some of the timelines clear here so 2018 is when this game was first announced and then 2021 is when this game was released so this game was in release like 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 from concept to to kind of like pushing the game out to to the general public it was around five years that this game was in development and it showed because you mentioned as you asked if this game played like a triple a and you know what it felt like it felt like they used a lot of and i i don't actually know it just felt like i'm not saying they did but like it felt like they used some of the kind of like uh, feel from Fortnite. I like, see so your your character was a third person perspective, like looking down. So it was a third person shooter. So it wasn't an FPS. It was a third person shooter, and and you kind of felt a little bit Fortnitey to some degree. But here's where it gets really really interesting, and this is why I wanted to bring up the story because during this time there was actually a second character that came onto the scene, and this character actually became the main character essentially, and this character was accompanied by the name of Improbable. Okay. So back, so keep this in mind that 2018 is when they announced when Midwinter Entertainment announced the game. And then in 2019, actually, and so this, according to Crunchbase here, it was September 12th of 2019, Improbable acquires Scavengers developer Midwinter Entertainment. So Improbable bought Midwinter, essentially, sight on scene. Now, here's where it gets a little bit interesting. This wasn't their first foray, but there was actually an article I was reading. I really should bring up that article. It was by Forbes, I believe, where it was an interview of the CEO kind of talking a little bit about his vision for the future because uh, the, the CEO of Improbable, sorry, I'm speaking of the CEO of Improbable, he actually wrote a book um, and I can probably bring it up here. Uh, so essentially it was it was made by like these guys that met in Cambridge, so Cambridge University. Uh, and yeah, this guy's name is Herman, uh, I don't want to butcher it, but Nurula. And he's published a book and it's actually pretty interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll read you the title and you tell me what you think. So Nurula, uh, Herman Nurula, he published a book called, get ready, Virtual Society, The Metaverse and New Frontiers into the Human Experience. Interesting. So he published this book in 2022, I believe. He published this book. I might be wrong on that. Yeah, no. Uh, I think he did. So yeah, yeah. He published this book actually last month. And it's crazy that it actually, the cover of the book has like a guy with like virtual reality goggles on. But essentially this guy, 
I would say he's coming more close than Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk is when it comes to talking about, like he straight up used language like the matrix and, and things like that, like that he's really trying to do this. Because here's the thing that's kind of interesting about improbable versus everything else. So, like I said, Midwinter was bought out by improbable. But this wasn't Midwinter Improbable's first acquisition, actually. So what happened, essentially, was that there was another game being published at the time. Not published, sorry, but being kind of using the tech of Improbable. And it was called Worlds Adrift. Now, here's where it gets super fascinating. So Worlds Adrift was made by a company called Bossa Studios. The tech behind what they were doing was literally super radical like we're talking next level stuff like everything like the big thing that they said was that everything was simulated so that means that they could have had everything so like simulation of day and night cycles and it also was inhabited by millions of complex entities in a real-time environment like they were talking so this game essentially was a multiplayer massively multiplayer game about like airship airship battles that's essentially the game But then all of a sudden you have this like scenario where like the entire ecosystem of this game is being simulated in real time using this technology that Improbable calls the spatial OS. All right. That's a, that's a pretty hefty load. Well, here's where it gets really interesting is the fact much, honestly, it's like, why go to that level? Like what, what do you get from it? Well, so spatial OS is really interesting because Essentially, in layman's terms, if I understand the little pretty picture, I looked at pretty pictures, guys. I didn't like, I didn't listen to the scholarly journal part, like papers that are written about the subject. But these guys are really smart. But essentially, what it is is instead of like a server, so instead of a server housing, um, like a game map, right, and like all the players, and and like there might be like you know how Prosperous Universe, the game that we all play comes from like there's a node for this and a node for that and a node for this essentially what they're doing is they're taking like so if there's a if there's a server that is dedicated to the map of the game of the massively multiplayer online game they're taking that one server and pretty much making it cloud-based essentially so that all these servers are communicating in real time extremely quickly and you get mat like oh get ready you get (laughs) get ready lex (laughs) You get quantum leaps (laughs) in terms of technology with regards to video game processing power and jazz like this. Now, if you think like, okay, that's cool. So essentially get this. So World of Drift, okay, back to to this, back to story. World of Drift was canceled. And, but you might be like, oh, wow, like it was, that's, that's sad. But it was canceled not because of Spatial OS, it was canceled because of all the other game dev problems that happened, such as lack of content, right? The bit, actually, there might have been some say to, because the one thing that they, I actually listened to some YouTubers talking about it. And essentially, they said that game, Worlds of Drift was a fantastic game. Like the gameplay loop was really poor. But the gameplay itself was fantastic. People enjoyed the airship battles. You could grapple. Like there was, so it was like floating islands. Think floating islands. This was what the mm-hmm. map was. Floating islands. And you grapple one island to the next. You're like pirates and all this jazz, right? And it was a lot of fun. So much so that the game got canned, right? But it actually, there's a community developing a game called Voids Adrift now. 
which is they're trying to revive the game back to its original glory. But the biggest issue was is that Worlds Adrift, essentially uh, to the conclusion that many people came to, was that the fact that instead of like features, so instead of like delivering on features, they had to fix a whole bunch of bugs. So they were bug fixing for the first bit and it essentially was too late, too little, too late, essentially for this for this company, and essentially it it got canceled. But it is really interesting. Now here's where we keep we keep the story going. Now let's fast forward to I believe yet. Yeah, well, let's not fast forward. Let's keep in the same year. So 2019, there is a game called, and I've never heard of this, but there's a game called Mavericks Proving Down. Grounds, okay, and it, it's a battle royale. It is a battle royale, and it's in the true bluest sense. But I want you guys to take a guess: how many players do you think, based on the spatial OS technology, because this is what was they were using, Mavericks Proving Ground could have? So, how many players in a server do you think they could have for this battle royale? Give a guess. More mm. than thousand, maybe. You're bang on. A thousand players per around that you could have in Mavericks Proving Grounds. Do you know what happened to it? Canceled. <laughs> it got okay, canceled. So is anybody buying the underlying technology? The, Here's the where we sound like they're get yeah, ready. nothing there, but they get got ready. This technology that's supposed to be great, right? So okay. So get ready for this. I, and I got I got I got a quote here. I, I got a quote I'm gonna read here. In 2016, improbable one, a multi-year. So this is the multi the spatial OS improbable won a multi-year contract with the U.S. Army to provide wargaming simulations. And then you keep going down down the rabbit hole, essentially, of figuring this stuff like... So it gets to the point where in October of 2022, they had a valuation of over $3 billion. And essentially... So this is kind of a little quote for you guys. So quote... Improbable develops large-scale real-life simulation platforms for governments and defense, including the U.S. Department of Defense and the U.K. Ministry of Defense. It's so software... the game's a sideshow. Yeah, it's got to be. This is the real money. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. So what happened then was we go back to uh, scavengers, right? So scavengers and what was happening with it. So I actually there was like a sort of like a blog, essentially a blog that was happening. And I read through it all. I read through every article that was in that blog. And and they were going through a decent release cycle, like in terms of new content and new features and stuff like that, that a lot of people actually in Reddit, that the Reddit verse were talking about that it simply didn't have the marketing chops or the marketing kind of firepower to kind of actually make a dent in this thing, even though it was sort of an innovative game. Now, here's the interesting thing about this game, though. I will say this. So I played Scavengers, right? I played Scavengers and I found it fun. I did. But I also found it weird. I did. I found it quite like I was like, oh, okay, okay. Like there there were certain things that I was like, like for instance, one of the biggest ones was that essentially they promised that you could level up your character and that your character could become more powerful over time. But when you have like a battle royale scenario where it's kind of like you're doing this PvP thing, what happens when three maxed out characters meet a bunch of new players, Right. It, it's going to be an unfair them. fight. You got, what is it, Diablo Immortal? Isn't that how that works? Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Destroy them. So essentially what happened was in May of 2022, so um, the, the, game was, the game has been canceled, but in May of 2022, 
um, well, March of 2022 actually was their last update. So essentially they've done a pretty good cadence. Like I always believe that every good company, if you're going to market to your players, you should have some sort of announcement cadence of some sort, like just like talking about like, like Prosperous Universe does, right? It's a weekly cadence where they kind of keep us informed of what's going on. But essentially in March of 2022, they went radio silent. They went from talking about like a, they were talking about console release. And I actually think that the console release would have saved this game. I really do think, which is really a big shame because there's this huge console market, right? Like as much as we say that PC gaming is big, it's no lie like that the console market is 10 times bigger. It just is like, it's more, there's just, there's just, it's more kind of, available for players like you could go and buy a console tomorrow and bing you're a console gamer well as when you're a pc gamer you have to buy components and it costs like three times 30 times as much to to do this right so march of 2022 last update and then of may of 2022 so pretty soon after uh midwinter entertainment which was the company that that made scavengers was bought by behavior entertainment and some of the people, uh, these are like uh, behavior is some of the people that did like day, Dead by Daylight. So they're a pretty big company, right? So kind of you could consider right. them AAA. And yeah, as you probably guessed, and I mentioned before, this move ultimately canceled the console release. And then of June of 2022, the CEO steps down. So uh, Midwinter CEO steps down. And uh, that's kind of it. That's all she really wrote. Um and so I did some digging into kind of like understand why players that played this game, like, like valued, like really diehard players really wanted this game to succeed, why it failed. And the biggest, one of the biggest runs was cheaters. They just couldn't, they couldn't figure out the cheating problem that they had these massive amounts of cheaters in this game happen. And another thing was, is that essentially you have the scenario where, and this is where it gets really interesting. So my first question of the night for this kind of story, now that you have all the details. Now, if you not, if you don't have all the details, let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll answer any questions you guys have. But, so the first question is, do you guys think that Midwinter's Entertainment's size had an issue? Because here's the one thing that they kind of talked about what in that trailer was they were talking about that they're an indie studio that they can turn, they can turn faster. Right, that they can they can maneuver faster, like if they they can respond to players' kind of comments, right? And one of the biggest the biggest things that players said ruined the game for them was essentially the devs early on did this like balancing tweak that essentially ruined the game completely. Like we're talking like it 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 made sniper rifles like useless. That that's how bad of a tweak it was. And so it's interesting to see a small company have like this, this, this kind of lots of money, lots of cool tech, lots of cool everything. And they have almost the world by, you know, the world's their oyster. And now all of a sudden they don't really have, maybe I would say the, I, I don't know, they're lacking something essentially. So what are your guys' thoughts? It sounds to me, um, and I, this is just complete conjecture because I don't really know, but this sounds like a classic case of there's, uh a conflict going on inside the company about what is the most important thing what's the direction of this game yeah. um because their money is not coming from the game based on what you just told us i don't think their money was coming from the game i mean yeah, well midwinter's midwinter's but... money was coming from the game improbable's money money was coming from correct from uh uncle sam 
<laughs> and and Improbable's money probably dwarfed um, Midwinter's money. Ah. And so, and they're probably, they're the owning company at that point, right? And so they're saying, this is what you got to do. This is what you got to spend your time on. And Midwinter's like, but no, we we're making a game. And Improbable's like, no, you're not making a game. You're making a, a simulation. It's funny you say that because I actually forgot to say the most important part of this entire scenario. So do you know how I heard about this game? I heard about this game because PC Gamer released an article uh, before the game's release talking about that they called it Scav Labs. That's what they called it, essentially. So Scav Labs. And this was like an improbable thing. This it was midwinter, it was, but it was almost like it was almost like improbable, in my opinion, was like really heading it up, where essentially they filled a server full of 4,000 players. So they did this like massive like event, like think just kind of like, I, I don't know, think like, think like a big campfire, essentially, mm-hmm. of 4,000 players. And, and they did this experiment and PC Gamer talked about it and, and, and it became the thing. But apart from that, the game didn't get much traction from players. Yeah, and... I mean, four thousand players in a server is an interesting technical feat. Like that's really that's really challenging. Yeah. Um, I admire that for sure. But four thousand players in a game isn't very interesting from a gameplay perspective. Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Well, that's just chaos. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's it barely works on those games where it's like really big world and lots of players. Part of the problem is is that. You can't really be, you can't stand out in that world unless you've got a ton of, you know, unless you're really, really skilled, you got a ton of money in games, you can do that. It's, I get the appeal, but the appeal is not, I think they over, I think they heavily overestimate how much people want to be on games with lots and lots of other players because it just makes it harder and harder for you to achieve your goal. You're right. Yeah, you can just get random, random beat from somebody who happened as because if you're trying to keep track of where you're not going to have to keep track of 4000 players all at once, but 4000 players, people can come from all over the place at any moment and you're done. It's like it feels very um, luck driven when there's that many players in the game. And there's a phenomenon I've never forgot. There's always some company that wants to create a true, you know, winner take all PVP. When you lose, you lose everything game. Those games don't last because every person who plays them imagines that they are going to be Conan the Barbarian and they're going to rule, you know, the, the kingdom. And it turns out that they end up getting slaughtered by some random guy. There's only one king of the kingdom, right? And you're not it. And so what people imagine that they're going to do and how fun it's going to be. The reality is, is none of us want to play the lowest level slave in the group get beat on every day. Right. That's that's, there's a reason why we don't have games out there. Play the slave who spends the entire game doing exactly what they're told. Nobody enjoys that. And yeah. And so it sounds to me like they were solving a really, really hard, fun, technical challenge by getting 4,000 people on this server but they spent a lot of effort on something that wasn't going to make the game money. Now for the parent company, I had, you know, that maybe that did make them money because I could see in uh, writing simulations for uh, the military, 
why you would want to be able to support 4,000 people in a server. End of the day, that technology is far more important than the game. It just sounds yep. to me like game sounds fun, sounds great. Frankly, there's five other versions of that. I don't know how you stand out. And having large numbers of players, that's actually useful in certain contexts, but not in battle royale type context. You know, it's it's I mean, I used to play Planet Side. I enjoyed that. You had tons Ooh, of players. Planet fighting. Side, yes. That was a lot of fun. I mean, it really was. But yeah, you're just one guy doing something, right? And and the reality is is this the whole of Planet Side, they had this giant map and all this going on. People just went to one place and just slugged it out in a big chaotic battlefield. And as much as I enjoyed it, and I did enjoy it, there's a limit to how much that's going to, how big an audience you're going to have, how many people are going to play that kind of game. So you, you kind of either have to just immediately win and become the next hot thing, or you're done. Yeah. yeah and if you look at the battle royales that are, have been successful, uh, the map is actually pretty small. Like, you th if you think about it, the map is small. It's, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, a, a tractable number of people who are parachuting into the map. You can kind of keep track. You can see the counter as they, they die. And so, like, you can grasp what's going on in almost in the entirety of what's going on in that world. With 4,000 players, there's absolutely no way you can do that. Well, and I think the big thing here to keep in mind is the fact that, like, you know, Narula, who is the CEO of Improbable, he has bigger fish to fry, right? And actually, that I found that article. It wasn't Forbes. It was Wired that I read. And here's a quote that one of the headlines of the quote, get this. Uh, before it, which is Improbable, uh, wanted to build the Matrix, Improbable wanted to make a game. So right there... It's showing that, you know, yeah, because it goes on further to talk about that. They, yeah, they want to make these massive, massive simulations, right? Just absolutely mm -hmm. gigantic. And, you know, one of the things that they were doing was actually simulating the um, city of Cambridge. So they were doing this like massive simulation of pedestrians, traffic to see, you know, essentially what can be done in terms of simulation technology behind the scenes, right? So yeah, the scenario where it's like, we can build these cool games, essentially, we can, you know, buy these companies to do that. But I think that when it's kind of like when rubber hits the road, you know, you have this scenario where it's like, okay, like, are you actually bringing us like Uncle Sam money, right? Like, I, I think one of the big things that often happens in the business world, unfortunately, and I see this because uh, you guys have Shark Tank in America, in Canada here, we have Dragon's Den. So I don't know if you guys knew that, but um, I actually I did not. I actually love Dragon's Den more I, than I did. Yeah. yeah. Anywho, so but you'll see oftentimes in Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, I watch both, that you have these companies that like quote figures, right? Like they they search up like like a makeup company, for instance. A makeup company will search up like you know how what percentage of the makeup market. Like if we, like if we took up 1% of the makeup market, that's like a billion dollars, right? It's like, it's a crazy money. It's like, well, yes, but that's 1% of like a trillion dollar industry, right? Like good luck. And so it's interesting when it's like you have, especially like mobile games and all these other things, like, especially in the mobile game market where it's like, 
I don't know what the figure is. Like, what's the value of the mobile game market? Um, I know a certain person that could probably tell us that figure, but <laughs> um, do, you, do you want Do you want to know the revenue? Well, just the, the just the value, just the value of it. Well, that's the thing. So, because I actually did look up some of the numbers, smartphone games it looks like in twenty twenty two were ninety one billion. Um, consoles were fifty eight, and PCs were thirty eight billion. Yeah, tablets yep. were twelve. This is um. This is sourced global games market report. So oh, I, I'm yeah. on a website that, but yeah, so it's big. Um, now, admittedly. It's the reality of my life that somebody tells me the market's a hundred billion, and I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I, that, that's kind of small. You know, you, you should do bigger. <laughs> but, yeah, but, it, but yeah, it, it's clearly yeah, that's that's the thing I think a lot of people forget about, right? So there's the passion. I want to make a game. You asked about the small studios. Small studios are almost always undercapitalized, and most of them fail. Like that is the death of most small studios. Great idea, guys working hard, big plans, no money, one in 50 survives, and that makes it look like everybody can do it, right? Well, your average, your average capital investor, the person who's got money, they, they, they put money into things to get yield. They, they want to they return on their investment, and they're going to look at it, and they're going to ask some very basic questions. You know, the shark tanks of the world. It's like, I'm going to put 100000 into it. How much am I going to get back? And that's all they're going to ask. Well, I know we were talking about, um, you know, a few days ago, so this wasn't uh, before the podcast. I know we were talking about like companies that are mercenaries for hire, right? And now Midwinter has essentially become one. I know that we were kind of talking earlier about that Midwinter is one, but they weren't. They were kind of a company that's like, you know, we split from 343. We got a bunch of Halo 5 AAA chops behind us. We're going to make the game of our dreams. And they did, right? They, they, this is a story about a company that's very passionate that made the game of their dreams, but I think that they might have bid off more than they can chew, right? Where essentially that's, now... That's not unusual in this business. That's not. That's, that's, that's one of the things about game business that's so fascinating to me. It's, it's generally people under the age of 30 with big dreams. Now, of course, that may be changing, but young people that work for far less than they would be making working in an equivalent company working longer hours than they would work almost anywhere else for a project with almost no chance of making money. And that's the reality for almost everybody involved, right? And, but it's a, it's passion work. And of course, you know, I, I wouldn't work for a game company unless they paid me a million dollars a year. And even then, and even You're then an expensive I'd man, Lex. <laughs> well, you know, Silicon Valley money, dude, you gotta, you gotta be real cash. But the, the thing Silicon is, is money. The, the, the job is, is the job is very hard. Yeah. I've, I've seen the life. I've known people that have done it. It takes everything out of you. It gives very little back and it's more failure than success. I mean, the, the the guy, a specific story, the guy that runs Board Game Geek, one of my favorite websites, he spent years working in companies doing game development, totally underpaid, totally underutilized. It wasn't until he left that and got a job somewhere else that he really had a chance to do the things. And he's created beautiful things since. He's one of the smartest people I ever met. But in the gaming world, it didn't matter how smart he was. It didn't matter how good he was. It's just that kind of business. 
And, and here's the thing that I don't think many people realize, gamers don't realize about the games industry. And I think even a lot of people in the games industry, when they first get into it, don't realize is that making your uh, dream game is almost a, a recipe for failure because you have to have mass appeal. You have to have, um, there's some cool technology or some cool technique or, or like an ultra realistic simulation those are just going to be very niche. They're not going to make a lot of yeah. money. You know what, though? Let's say, let's recite what Lex told us early on. And I, I, you said something to me, Lex, a while back that actually really resonated with me. You're right. You said, Des, that companies need mass appeal. I would argue that, yes, they do. But I would say that needs to be mixed in thoroughly with a little bit of luck. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I'll go with like let's go with an example like Fortnite for well, instance. And well, and let's also caveat this uh, uh by saying that like indie games that are truly indie games that don't have massive budgets uh don't need the same mass appeal level that um yeah. these companies do because basically if if they settle in a niche, they get the money back anyway as long yeah. as they they also run on small budgets and yeah. nobody's taking home any real cash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, as you were saying. Yeah, no, but like Fortnite, for instance, Fortnite created Save the World, right? Fortnite Save the World. That's what it was called. It was a game where you built forts out of wood and stone, like walls, <laughs> and you saved the world from zombies. And it was a lot. It was, and I hope it's still around. I actually really want to play that game. It, it No, it was a fantastic game. It actually was um really revolutionary but um what happened was PUBG came out so PUBG the battle royale we all know and love well actually DayZ the mod it was i think it was a DayZ mod or it was an arma mod i think like it was a mod of a mod of a mod essentially it made battle royale so battle royale was a mod of the mod right and then PUBG came out and then essentially they flipped onto Fortnite that's actually next next week's discussion is about uh what happened with that flip but um yeah, before we get too further off topic, uh, I think I'm going to end our topic there in terms of scavengers and wrap it up with this. And and really, I've already kind of said it, but it really is that idea that I really do wish the best for Midwinter. Like you said, Lex, game development is super difficult. It's super hard. And people put their time, their effort, but also their souls and, and, and passions into these games. And it became evident that the uniqueness of this game was something special. It really was. It was actually a game unlike... It, it was a game like other games, like a Battle Royale or like a PvE shooter, but it tried to innovate, right? And I think we should applaud that. You know, taking risks yeah. and failing is something that we should always applaud yeah, as gamers. Uh, I don't think we need another Call of Duty Modern Warfare 17. Um, <laughs> but... The, the accountants disagree with you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, so it's really interesting and I really do wish the best for Midwinter. So the end of the story essentially was, so end of the story was that, uh, Midwinter got bought by a company called Behavior Interactive. So they were the dead, dead by daylight people, also a Canadian studio actually. And you know what? I think now they're probably being absorbed into the company and are probably helping make dead by daylight or another AAA title by Behavior Interactive. So We'll have to see what the future holds for Midwinter because it's kind of unclear. As to Improbable, um, 
improbable is probably definitely i think that they're working with bigger fish than gaming i think they've kind of there is a few more games that are actually coming out that are powered by spatial os so maybe maybe spatial os is um licensed to these companies but i think i would caution if there's a developer (laughs) probably not but if there's a developer listening that's using spatial os i would say this don't use spatial OS as your, you know, your golden boy, essentially. Yes, it's powerful. Yes, it's good. It definitely has like really cool features and cool things. But as Lex and Des already said, what are you going to do with a game with 4,000 players, right? It's like, so don't forget about the game, right? Get the game right first. And obviously the tech will be there to underlie, like underpin it, but... Don't let the tech be overrule your decisions when in terms of game development. So, yeah. Gameplay matters. Gameplay matters. It really does. Gameplay matters.